You are listening to me to the Thriller Author, the podcast where I interview writers of mysteries, thrillers, and suspense books. I'm your host, Alan Peterson, and this is episode number 149. On this episode of the podcast, we'll be meeting Jeffrey Deaver, who is an international number one best-selling author. His books are sold in over 150 countries and have been translated into over 25 languages, and he sold over 50 million copies of his books worldwide. His first novel, featuring the Lincoln Rhyme character, The Bone Collector, was made into a major motion picture starring Denzel Washington and Angelina Jolie. His latest book, The Final Twist, is the latest Coulter Shaw novel, which was published on May 11th. I was very excited to talk to Jeffrey Devers, one of my favorite authors. So we'll get to the interview here in just a moment. Uh, but first, I want to let you know uh, for your needs of royalty-free stock images, um, if you need these uh, for your website, for social media posts, Facebook ads, book covers, etc., uh, go check out thrillingreads.com forward slash stock. You'll have access to 195 plus million stunning stock images right at your fun- fingertips. And this promotion is live uh, only until May 24th at 8 a.m. U.S. Central Time. For $39, you get 100 photo uh, vector downloads uh, from deposit photos, and you can stack up up to 10 codes. So you can actually have about 3,000 downloads if you want. And you don't have to worry because these uh, credits never expire. Uh, so go check out thrillingreads.com forward slash stock uh, for this great deal. And it's a great way to support the podcast. So I appreciate it. All right, here is my interview with... Jeffrey Deaver. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Jeffrey. Thank you, Alan. A pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, so excited to have you here. And uh, I'm so uh, interested with your background because you've been a musician, a journalist, an attorney. Did you always want to become a fiction writer, even when you were trying out those other professions? Actually, before that, I um, was 12 when I wrote my uh, my first, well, quote, book. It was really a short story. And it was a thriller. I was very into James Bond at the time. That was the uh, early 1960s. <clears throat> and, um, I, you know, people say, you, you read James Bond at that age? Well, back then, the books were very tame. Uh, there was, uh, we think of Bond as a ladies' man. He certainly was in the books, but everything was off camera. There was very little violence in the books, very little graphic violence, certainly. And uh, to me, they were just good, you know, rollicking adventure stories. And I said, I want to do that when I when I grow up. And I <clears throat> I knew though that uh, thinking about it, that uh, authors are not prodigies. Do you ever see a very successful author in in his or her mid teens? No, you need to live life a little bit. So I was in no hurry. Uh, to do that and I to become an author full-time, which was my goal, and an author of uh, thriller fiction, uh, maybe mystery, we can divide mystery into uh, one category, thrillers into another, but crime fiction I wanted to write. And I just had to do other things until then, make some money, have some fun, and learn a little bit about life. And so it wasn't until my mid-30s that I decided it was time to um, uh, time to get serious and get back to my goal. And so I started publishing then. And after, I think, six books, I was able to quit my law job and write full time. And that was uh, 30, over 30 years ago. Well, yeah, this is definitely a a, a profession that requires uh, patience, right? <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> and so you, so you said you were a fan of James Bond as a, as, as a kid. So you were, is that the reason why you were attracted to crime fiction and, and thrillers in general and mysteries? You were a fan of the, of the genre as a reader? Um, yes, I was. And I read also uh, John D. McDonald, Travis McGee, uh, Dashiell Hammett. 
I read Raymond Chandler, though. I found Raymond Chandler, uh, frankly, to be moving a bit slow. He was a great psychological profilist, uh, but um, he was not one of my favorite. I read uh, Agatha Christie, uh, Georges Simenon, uh, the French writer who apparently could turn out a book in a day. Um, and I love the movies of Alfred Hitchcock. Um, I, I guess what I was attracted to, and I will say I read read sci-fi as well and fantasy, but what I was attracted to was the um, uh, the fact that a crime story, um, all the ones I was drawn to moved very quickly, uh, which I liked. That's what my books do now. They, they race along and they dealt not only with the crime, but with other issues too. And the other issues could be uh, the relationships between the hero and his or her love interests, uh, relationships between siblings, possibly. And that uh, did not necessarily affect the plot, but it drew us in to those characters. And the crime fiction also uh, explored important issues, social issues, like the social issue that I get involved in, uh, in the, uh, the final twist, uh, the interplay between uh, corporations and politics, which sounds very abstract, but once you get into the book, you see that it's a, a very real and very uh, insidious connection. And so I, um, I thought, well, that's, that's what I want to do. That gives me the biggest bang for the buck, one might say. I want to engage readers. This is my goal. Engage readers emotionally uh, on every single page. So crime fiction, you've got your, your crime plot, you've got your personal relationship plot, and you've got your overarching, let's call it a social issue plot of, of some sort. And uh, it, that's why uh, crime fiction uh, is so appealing uh, to me and why I've stuck with it all these years. Yeah, and I've been uh, I've been reading the final twist, and I really enjoy it. And actually, I live in San Francisco, so it's been fun to uh, follow uh, Coulter around all over the city. <laughs> oh, can I ask you? Can uh, I ask you what what neighborhood? Because I, I lived there too. It was quite a while ago. But uh, I uh, uh, what what area are you in? Are you in one of those newly redeveloped areas? Well, I'm in I'm in between the uh, Castro and Twin Peaks, uh, so oh, like yeah, right yeah, in the middle sure. of the city. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think they call it Corona. What do they call it now? Yeah, they keep changing the adding new neighborhoods. Uh, it's uh, all the, those crazy acronyms. You know. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I don't know if you're familiar with Buena Vista Park. I'm not too far from. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so it's been a lot of fun uh, seeing them running around uh, Soma and uh, the mission. <laughs> That's a little more. Uh, uh, well, I tried to I tried to make um, as I do in all of my books, uh, I try to make. The, the location, a, a separate character. For instance, in The Never Game, the first one, which takes place uh, in Silicon Valley, I tried to make Silicon Valley come alive. And I, I I wrote a book many years ago called The Blue Nowhere and traveled to Silicon Valley to study it. That was in the 90s, uh, just the, when uh, the uh, tech bubble was starting to inflate. Uh, and I, But I learned things like, for instance, East Palo Alto, not far from the Stanford campus, and the home of Hewlett Packard and uh, Park, uh, um, what uh, the um, uh, IBM Park? I can't remember what it's called now. Um, East Palo Alto was the most per square block, per square mile, however they defined it, the most dangerous neighborhood in the United States. Um, it's all changed now, of mm -hmm. course. Uh, been redeveloped, but uh, I, that kind of brought Silicon Valley to life. Uh, the Goodbye Man, last year's book with Coulter Shaw, was on uh, was set in the mountains overlooking Mount Rainier in a, the wilderness of uh, Washington State, and so I wanted to bring that alive. And I brought, I think, um, 
San Francisco to life because it is a such a multicultural city, uh, such a such a wonderful mix, and of uh, uh, you know, it gave me the opportunity too to to look at some of the the dark sides of it, the gang activity and so forth there. Yeah, I thought I was reading in your bio that you were uh, uh, when you were, you were a musician and you taught music when you were in San Francisco. That's, that's huh? yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I, I wanted to be uh, uh, for the time until I could write my novels, or maybe while I was writing my novels, I wanted to be a singer songwriter, and I had no problem with the songwriting part. In fact, a few years ago, to accompany my novel XO, I wrote an album of country western songs that was produced. I mean, you can find them on Spotify and Pandora or YouTube if you like. And uh, But the singing part, so singer-songwriter, two parts of the job description, songwriting, not a problem. Singing, problem. <laughs> I, uh, I, I didn't have the voice or the musicianship uh, for that, but it was fun to be up in North Beach on, uh, you know, Grant and uh, uh, played at the coffee gallery and some of those, the boarding house, some of those clubs. I don't know that they're there anymore. Well, this was a long time ago, but, but it was great fun. Very exciting time to be in the city. Yeah, so can you tell us a little bit then for, for the listeners from there um, about the, the final twist? Can you tell us a little bit about that book and how that came together? Sure. I've had um, in mind for a long time uh, the concept of writing a, a, a political book in which uh, uh, corporations uh, are, and corporations are by no means all nefarious. We know that. Corporations are allowing us to do this right now. Corporations built the computer that I am on and that I write my, my books on. But um, I think we can all agree that there is the uh, opportunity for malfeasance when uh, a, uh, a, a group of people get together and um, responsibility for actions become rather diffuse. I mean, look at the Sacklers in the Oxycontin situation. Mm. And uh, I wanted to uh, explore that, especially in the context of when a corporation becomes uh, powerful enough to uh, say strew uh, drugs on the streets of San Francisco in order to bring down property values and then buy up that property. Uh, one of the things that this organization that Colter Shaw believes is responsible for his father's death has done. And um, then you uh, uh, combine that with um, the corporations eyeing uh, Sacramento, the, the seat of government in California. And suddenly we're dealing with a, uh, uh, an incredibly uh, dangerous potential there that would affect human rights. It would affect uh, immigrants' uh, rights. Uh, it would affect uh, LGBTQ rights, everything. And um, I wanted to uh, take, make my villain not just a uh, living, breathing human being, but this corporate entity and how do you how do you attack that? It's like a, it has so many tentacles on it. So anyway, Coulter comes to uh, uh, to San Francisco as the knight uh, would on an uh, on a quest to do battle with this uh, with this dragon of a, a corporation. And uh, meanwhile, he has to rescue a young girl from the streets of uh, San Francisco after she's been kidnapped for uh, reasons that are rather complicated. And um, uh, so the story just takes off from there. It's the typical diva. It takes place over about two days, three days, maybe. Lots of internal reversals. We get to the end of the book. It's all solved, all taken care of. And uh, every answer, every question is answered, and yet not. Mm -hmm. uh, 
there are what we didn't think were loose ends suddenly become loose ends. And it's a race to the last minute uh, until we end up with, in fact, the final twist, which after everything is settled, we're positive, yet in the final paragraph, yet there's another twist. And how much, uh, we're putting all this together because it's so, so great how fast, uh, uh, the, the fast action, it's uh, pace and everything of, this, of these books. I mean, do you do a lot of uh, planning and outlining even before you sit down to write your books? Yes, I'm uh, the most obsessive outliner I know in the writing community. I spend eight months uh, working on the outline before I write a single word of the prose. The outline for the final twist was probably, um, I would guess, 130 pages or so. Uh -huh. And that has all the uh, uh, the chapters um, outlined. Uh, I know exactly where I introduce a character, where the character leaves the story either vertically or horizontally, because not everybody survives the end of the, the book. I know where all the clues are seeded into the story because those twists, uh, especially the final one, have to be earned. They have to be legitimate. So, um, uh, yes, I do a great deal of outlining. And um, I, I listen to uh, what Joyce Carol Oates said, that you can't write the first sentence until you know what the last sentence is. So it's all planned out. And that's a, it can be an agonizing process uh, because I have to make sure all the parts fit together, all those different plots. But you see, once that's done, then I can sit down and write the book straight through. It takes me two months to write the book uh, because oh, I should say outlining is part of writing the book. But by the two months, I mean uh, filling in the, the prose. Uh, say chapter 42 says, Coulter Shaw finds a book dealer in North Beach uh, to help him with the project. That's all the outline says. Then I kind of close my eye, uh, being out of breath, walking up the hill through Chinatown on Grant, I think it is, and being in North Beach, breathing hard like Coulter does, and he finds the book dealer. And uh, then I fill that in. And then I might jump to chapter two. I haven't written that yet, but I know what it's going to be. And great writers, they don't use outlines, uh, but they really do because they do it in their head. I just can't do it in my head. I need to get it down on paper. I'm a little too scattered to <laughs> to uh, rely on my brain for that. And it was, is it a, what's the balance of like um, when you're doing all the the research of of you know not putting too much of that information in there that's going to slow the story down? And is that a delicate balance when you have all that research in front of you? Yes, it's it is a balance. Um, the um, uh, the trick to that is I tend to throw it in uh, and then on rewrite, and I do a great deal of rewriting. I'll rewrite 40 or 50 times. Then I see that I was a little enamored of this fact about uh, maybe the market district. I went back in history a little too much. Uh, naturally, the great earthquake has to figure in any book about San Francisco. Uh, uh, the earthquake which destroyed uh, three quarters of the city and uh, that's a, a very important plot element in the, in the story. Uh, and there was much more about the earthquake than needed to be in, in the book. So out came, you know, 20 pages, well, not 20 pages, out came probably seven pages of the, uh, uh, the earthquake. And I, you can't write about San Francisco without thinking about the San Andreas Fault. And so I had to throw a little of that in. And so um, uh, then that came out because it didn't need to be in the book. So, uh, uh, you know, polish, polish, polish. And, and the the number one rule in your head is that 
I do what I do for the readers, not for me. I, I get paid to write things, to make up stories. That's my pleasure in this whole business. But my job is to make sure I give the readers what they want. And part of that is fast moving plots that don't digress, uh, that don't go off on tangents, and that um, may tell a, a story about a bigger issue, the, the government, the corporations in, in this case, but that don't get up on a soapbox. So the uh, my um, my personal position will be clear in the book, but at the same time, it's uh, an organic outgrowth of the story. So I don't preach about it, but I let the characters uh, reveal what might be the dangers that I'm concerned about. Yeah, you come up with such amazing characters, you know, like Colter Shaw, and then of course uh, Lincoln Rhyme. And uh, I always wanted to ask you because I have I have I had an uncle who was a quadriplegic. Ah. And so that character was really was kind of special to me. And I was wondering how that came about. How did you decide to make the protagonist of quadriplegic? And did you get any pushback from editors or publishers at the time? I um, Yes, for those of your listeners who don't know, uh, Lincoln Rhyme, the hero from The Bone Collector, and uh, 15, well, the 15th book, The Midnight Lock, will be out in November. Uh, he is a quadriplegic. Uh, quadriplegic means he's paralyzed from the, the neck down, paraplegic paralysis from the waist down, basically. But he's completely uh, paralyzed. He can move his uh, head and shoulders. And now through surgery and some implants can move his right arm. There's been quite a miraculous uh, medical advancement in that condition. But I, I did that essentially because I was tired of uh, superheroes and I don't mean uh, supernatural superheroes like the Marvel characters. I mean heroes like in a, uh, with all respect to Bruce Willis and uh, Tom Cruise, uh, uh, the, the thriller hero that uh, could do anything. He knew karate, could outshoot the bad guy, could beat up the bad guy. I wanted a hero who was more like a Sherlock Holmes on steroids, who had no opportunity to go into the field and uh uh, you know, banter with the bad guy in a bar and then beat him up. Uh, you know, and we love those thrillers, movies and books like that. But, you know, realistically, uh, aren't we really more excited about characters who use their minds and uh, best the villain that way? And so I gave it a shot. I said, well, I'll, I'll see if it works. And um, I, uh, I uh, so I created Lincoln Rhyme, uh, gave uh gave it to my editor. They had no, no qualms about publishing it. There was no thinking that he would be a continuing character. And so I, um, I went on to write another book uh, and then Universal picked it up. And uh, I learned that Denzel Washington wanted to play uh, the uh, character Lincoln Ryan in the movies. And so uh, being a business person first, which I am, you know, as I mentioned, books are products. I uh, I said okay, time for a sequel, <laughs> and then, uh, out out he came, and uh, I've had great um, uh, great uh, praise from the disabled community because uh, I make him I create him as a real person. He's not on a pedestal, and he's not a cliche. He's just a man who happens to uh, be unable to use most of his limbs, and uh, you know we all have we all have things we don't like. I mean, I have some paralysis that uh, actually. Uh, developed after I wrote The Bone Collector, oddly enough, but it um, was a, a condition that uh, has affected my life to some extent. And uh, many people have uh, foibles that they're not happy with, uh, but who are we 
before anything else, before our physical incarnation. We are we are our minds, mm-hmm. our, our spirits, our hearts, our, our will, our drive, our passion. And uh, so I think that's why he's become such an enduring uh, character. And I intend to continue uh, leapfrogging Lincoln and Coulter, and I suspect they will meet at some point. Oh, that'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah, that, and I was going to ask you about that too, because you 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 manage to you you have you have several successful series out there, um, and you're managing all these different series. Do you work on one at a time, or do you handle them several at one time? I was kind of curious about that. Uh, no, I'm able to uh, work on uh, multiple projects. Uh, I guess the way my mind works, I can switch gears very quickly and uh, and focus. I wrote The Midnight Lock, the Lincoln Rhyme book, and The Final Twist at the same time. And right now I'm writing The New Cult of Shaw and a standalone. And I always do my uh, uh, short stories. I write uh, shorts for Amazon original stories, available on Amazon exclusively, by the way, books. And those are... Uh, short stories that precede the novels that they're, they're not about uh, the, the themes are different, but they're just kind of teasers to get people interested. Lucky I can, I can switch gears. And the, the other fact is that for the last year and some months, I um, have had nothing to do, but either watch curb your enthusiasm reruns or write. And I finished curb. So now it's time to, <laughs> then it was time to write. So I had a, an opportunity to get a lot of work done. Yeah, I was asking, uh, wondering also how you are you planning to uh, deal with the uh, pandemic in future books? Are you going to address it? Are you? It's going to be an alternative universe. <laughs> what are your th- thoughts about that? No, it it will not exist in my books. Um, I feel it is. Uh, it's too close to home. We all have experiences. I have um, not lost anyone in my immediate family, but I have. Um, I know people who have, have passed away because of COVID, and uh, despite what the naysayers say, uh, no, it was not an underlying condition. Uh, he died because he got COVID. And that, that's just a fact. It was a very pernicious uh, disease. And uh, I, I just think it's, it's absolutely appropriate for uh, writers to uh, disregard uh, what's going on around us and to take us to a different place because my books are fun. They have happy endings. Not to say I might not revisit at some point, uh, but I think uh, I'm sticking with um, traditional topics of mine. For instance, the uh, the Midnight Lock is about a villain who is uh, an expert lock picker, uh, and he's not really that interested in the electronic locks like the Nest and all the webcam security. Uh, he's an old-fashioned hacker who uh, is has almost, I will say, almost a quasi-sexual interest in the locks themselves. And uh, because, you know, clearly you put the key in the lock and I, I don't want to overplay it, but um, he uh, will not, if he sees a lock that's challenging, he has to open it. And so what he does is he breaks into apartments in the middle of the night after midnight, called the midnight lock, of course. And uh, yes, he could stab somebody to death, uh, but he doesn't. He just walks around the apartment. He watches them sleep. He rearranges things. And then he leaves and locks the door after he's left a, a very telling message that is important to the plot. Now, can you imagine waking up and finding somebody has sat next to you and had a ham sandwich out of your refrigerator? <laughs> um, I just found that particularly creepy. So uh, that's the kind of thing I'm going to be uh, continuing to write about. Um, 
in the same way that I didn't really address 9-11, except to say, of course, one has to say the, the towers are no longer there, but I didn't, um, uh, uh, I, I, I will not address the, um, the COVID thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's great because uh, yeah, we're all looking to escape and have that COVID fatigue. So it's gonna—I think that uh, uh, a lot of the people are gonna be uh, uh, looking to to get away from uh, from uh, this past uh, year and a half now. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and so um, I was wondering now uh, before I let you go about any advice that you have because I know I have uh, aspiring writers that are listening to this podcast, and you have some great videos on your website at jeffreydever.com uh, for writers. Uh, any advice for someone who sure. wants to write for a living? Oh yeah, yeah, sure. Um, well, you uh, you raise a very good point there in your your comment, Alan. Uh, if you want to write for a living, well, that's different from just writing a book. You may have a book in you that um, uh, a single story that you may take 10 years working on and uh, good for you, uh, that's that's wonderful. Um, if you wanna be a commercial writer, that's something else. You wanna make a living. It's um, a very uh, much more complicated answer. Uh, and it's actually the subject of a four, uh, four hour plus course I teach in writing commercial fiction. But I will, um, I will say this, um, you should, um, Plan out ahead of time what you want to write. You don't need to outline like I did, but you should not start writing until you know where you're going to go and know your ending. Um, You should, um, in your book, continually ask questions and raise conflicts. Make the reader think, what is going to happen next in the book? Um, And then you have to answer all of those conflicts. Um, And I don't mean just the answer at the end. I mean, strew the book with... um, with uh, hurdles for the hero to uh, try to leap over. Uh, You should rewrite a a great deal. I rewrite 50 times. I rewrite on the computer or edit, we might say on the computer. Uh, I'll probably go through 10 drafts on the computer. Then I print it out because what we read on paper is a different experience from what we read on uh, the computer screen, and you'll see things uh, that you missed on the screen. Typos, of course, but more than typos, you'll see um, uh, conceptual things that you you missed, or uh, you know maybe your hero would have changed his shirt uh, a page ago, and now he changes his shirt again. On paper, that somehow jumps out more. And then then so do those edits, and then finally, uh, if you work in Word, you can. Um, uh, save your file uh, as a PDF and then load it in a, a program called Natural Soft. I don't make any money from them. It's very cheap. I think they even have a free version. And the, the book will be read to you out loud. You, meanwhile, will have printed your copy out and follow word by word, and you will still see yet more typos and conceptual problems. That's the fine tuning, though little things like there, there, T-H-E-I-R, T-H-E apostrophe R-E, Y apostrophe R-E, things like that. And um, so that's the rewriting. And then find, my final word of advice is remember that um, uh, that rejection is just a speed bump. It's not a brick wall. Keep at it. That's some great advice. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Jeffrey. Uh, final twist uh, is out now. It's published on May 11th. And then uh, Midnight Lock is the new Lincoln Ryan book, number 15. That's so exciting. Uh, it will be out in November. Um, so thank you so much for being on the podcast. Really enjoyed talking with you. A pleasure, Alan. You take care. Hope to talk to you in November now. 
Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for listening to this episode of Meet the Thriller Author. If you have a moment, please do check out thrillingreads.com forward slash links, where you'll be able to rate and review this podcast or simply rate this podcast wherever it is that you're listening to it, uh, be it Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Audible, Amazon Music, uh, whichever podcast app you prefer. Uh, please take a moment to rate this uh, podcast. It's the best way to help other fans of uh, mystery and thriller books to find the uh, podcast. And uh, it helps me get the word out. And so it's the best way to support the podcast. So I do appreciate that. And if you're interested, you can join my Thrilling Reads mailing list. You'll find the uh, sign-up form at thrillingreads.com forward slash links. Once you subscribe for free, you'll be notified about discounts and deals on great books in the mystery, thriller, and crime fiction genres. You'll also find my social media links and my author website over at thrillingreads.com forward slash links. So check it out and say hi. All right. Take care and stay safe until we meet again on the next episode of Meet the Thriller Author.